today. Thank you, Romy. Good morning. Take your seats. It's really awesome to be with you this morning. So like Sam said, generally I am here. I'm just downstairs and we have an absolute incredible army of leaders downstairs that are taking care of your kids. And the best part is that they actually really love your kids. They really do. And um, we chat about your kids, we share funny stories, we share wins. We probably know a bit about you guys from your kids. So we are having an absolute blast. But this morning we're going to get straight into it because I have a bit of a concept that we'll have to unravel together and it's the concept of the servant and the guest. Now I'll just give you some context first because we're going to read from Luke and we're intercepting Jesus at a um, part of his life where he was on earth and he had actually been invited to dinner at a Pharisee's house. Now the important part about that is that a Pharisee was someone who was very knowledgeable about God, but very legalistic. So a lot of rules, traditions, and so it kind of gives you the context about what Jesus was walking into. And so he walks into this house and he's been invited for dinner. And he sees the table and it's all set out. And he sees the guests. And the other guests are vying for the best seat at the table. And so just like some of us today, back then they had seats of honour. And so if you had a guest that you really loved or you wanted to show that you really cared for them, you'd say, come, have the best seat in the house right here. And instead of the host doing that, these guests were kind of like vying and saying, no, me, 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 give me the best seat in the house. And Jesus actually calls them on it. And in Luke 14, 11, he says to them, "Um, stop doing that. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he turns to the host, and he says to the Pharisee, don't invite those for dinner who can repay you. Invite those who have nothing to offer you, nothing to repay you with, because then you will receive your reward at the day of the resurrection of the righteous. And so in this very awkward moment where Jesus has just told them off, And they're all sitting there so guilty, like, oh my gosh, he saw me. Um, They, Jesus launches into this parable. And just a side note, we need to realize the disrespect that was shown to Jesus in that moment because he was the guest. And if they truly believed that he was the Messiah who had come to earth to save humanity, he would have had been offered that seat of honour. No one offered him the seat. Everyone was me, 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 me. And so in this moment, he's called them out and he launches into this parable. Now, a parable sounds like a story, but it's got really amazing gold nuggets that we need to unpack. So Luke 14, 16 to 24. But Jesus said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many guests. And at that dinner hour, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, because everything is ready now. 
but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have purchased a piece of land and I have to go out and see it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've purchased five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another said, this one doesn't say please. I have recently married a wife and for that reason, I can't come. So the servant came back and reported this to his master and his master, the head of the household, became angry at the rejections of his invitation and said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the disabled, the blind, the lame. And the servant after returning said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled with guests. And for, for I tell you, none of those who were invited and declined will taste my dinner. Here we see Jesus represented as the master. He's the host. And he's hosting the banquet of salvation. The meal is prepared. The invitation has been sent out, and it's time to gather the guests. Salvation banquet is described in Isaiah 25, 6 to 9. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all people on this mountain. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over everyone, even the veil, which is stretched over the nations. He will swallow up death for all time. The Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken and it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The salvation banquet. He did it all. Jesus died for us. He made a way. God raised him from the dead. The invitation is open to all. It's time to gather the guests. Many scholars see the parable in Luke as a representation of what Jesus did on earth. And when Jesus came to earth, there was huge barriers. Um, for example, there were what we'd call Jews, which were people who knew God, followed God's um, law traditions, and then you would have Gentiles, and that was kind of like everyone else. And it was very exclusive. So we would all be Gentiles, unless you're Jewish. And then um, they would be very segregated and stick only with their kind. And Jesus came to earth and just blew that apart, completely blew it apart, all the barriers. But he didn't just stop at Jew and Gentile. He, he blew gender barriers completely apart, male and female. He blew socioeconomic barriers apart. He blew um, health issues apart. He often engaged with people with leprosy or other needs that were seen to exclude you from society back then. Jesus is really, really serious that he's not just the hope for the Jews and he's not just the hope for the Gentiles, but he is the hope of the world. Amen? He is the hope of the world and he is serious about this. And so if we look at Luke 14, you see, as the master, you see God as the master sending out the invitation out to his guests who then turn that invitation down. And then you see him opening up his door and saying, come, come. All who would like to eat dinner with the master, come. 
And so we can see ourselves in two elements of this parable. Firstly, as the servant, and secondly, as the guest. And the awesome part about knowing our God is that he doesn't just expect us to do things for him. He actually wants us to be with him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. So first of all, we'll look at the obedient servant. What would it look like for we, the church, to be the hands and feet of Christ, the amazing host of the Salvation Banquet? Paul writes to the church and puts it like this, Colossians 1, 27 to 29. This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. We preach Christ warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic, Christ. No more, no less. That's what I'm working so hard at day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives me. The awesome thing about a servant is that he's all about his master's business. And we as the church need to be all about God's business. We need to be the hands and feet of Christ, gathering people to the salvation banquet. And so my first question for you this morning is, are you excited? Are you excited? Because in that parable, the servant would have been a part of preparing the feast. You can imagine the buzz of excitement in the air of that household as the feast is ready. All their hard work, all the moments preparing are come, come to fruition when the master appears and says, the feast is ready, get my guests. Are you excited? Are you excited to share the gospel message? When was the last time you were pumped to let them know about Jesus? Paul talks hard in, Coloss- talks in Colossians about working hard, day in, day out just to share Jesus. I wonder if we're that excited about the Jesus we know. The Bible tells us that heaven declares, holy, holy, holy is the Lord again and again on repeat in awe of his glory. When was the last time you were in awe of your creator? 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 says, we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Delighted. Other translations say, ready to share, pleased to share, willing to share, determined to share, happy to share, cherish and long to share. Does that describe you this morning? Does that describe us as a church? Are you excited to declare that Jesus is the hope of the world? And let's be real, life can get a bit meh. It's the only word. I I was actually writing this and I could not describe it any other way. Just meh. Um, We all know, right? It can be a bit mundane, a bit routine-like. It can be hard. 
but it's actually up to us to choose in those moments to strategically stir up our spirit and tap into the excitement of heaven. We need to wake our spirits up and tap into the excitement that comes with being in the relationship with the holiest of holies. Do you remember who you serve this morning? Do you know him? He is God Almighty, Yahweh, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace. Do you know who you serve this morning? And how do we do this? How do we stir ourselves up? Well, we actually need to be strategic. You actually don't get to walk through life anymore just like going with it. You know? You, get, you have to be strategic to outwork what we've been called to outwork. So when you're feeling meh, that's the time you get out your Bible. That's the time you start praying, forcing your lips to declare the truth. That's the time that you put the praise music on or the worship music on and you jump in your room because a song will put words in your mouth even when you don't feel like saying it. And sometimes that's what we need to start declaring his goodness strategically place habits in our lives to force our weak human brains to realize that the feast is prepared. The master has invited them and it's our job to go and gather the guests. Are you excited to share the gospel? Are you pumped to go and make disciples? When you talk to people about your faith, are you bubbling over with excitement? Or are you making Jesus the most boring idea ever? Why would anyone want to come to a boring feast? Why? If you make church boring, you are doing the people in your world a disservice. The salvation banquet has been prepared and it's time for you to gather the guests. Your language, your actions, your excitement matters. It matters. So get excited. No one can even cheer. Come on. Just get excited. Get excited. Let me tell you, we were in um, pre-service meeting at, what, 9 o'clock, and I could already hear the kids excited outside. So you got lifted up. I'm used to a lot of squealing and a lot of yelling, a lot of excited noises coming out. Okay, the second thing is, are you dealing with disappointment? So this moment where the, the servant is excited, yes, the feast is ready, and he, he goes on his journey to go and get the guests, and he just gets turned down again and again and again. And then he has to go and walk back to the master and deliver the bad news. Disappointment. And specifically this morning, I wanted to touch on the disappointment when you know Jesus and those in your world are turning him down. And understanding that God gave everyone choice. And that we're called to invite and gather, but we can't make that choice for them. And that in our journey, there may very well be moments of disappointment where we realize that those we love and those we are inviting are not accepting the invitation. And we have to know how to deal with that so it doesn't take us out, it doesn't stop us from serving. And of course, there's many other disappointments. You could be disappointed that you thought your life was going one way and he pulls out the carpet, what is it, the rug out of your feet, out under your feet, and sets you on a new journey. You could be disappointed at people, at opportunities, at anything. 
But the thing is that hard times, disappointing times come. They come. And we choose how we respond. Just like the servant, we have to carry that disappointment, those feelings, back to our Father and lay it with him. Psalm 18, 1 to 3. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. This is why you need to open your Bible when you're dealing with things because the words are there. The words are there for you to declare over yourself. Dealing with disappointment is all about positioning yourself. Be found in his presence. Go back to the master. Seek him out. The Bible is full of disappointed, discouraged, disillusioned, depressed and defeated people. Their stories are in there for you to read. But these people, through the transformational power of God, were able to be made whole again. When you are broken, seek God. When you are bitter, seek God. When you are bracing yourself in the midst of a storm or a battle, seek God. He is our everything. And in that position, at the feet of Jesus, bringing him your hurt. Remind your circumstance and flesh of who you worship. Remind it of the truth. John 15, 9 says, um, I have loved you just as the Father has loved me. This is Jesus. Remain in my love. And I love that. Remain in my love. Don't seek me out and then walk away when it's hurting and it's, it's hard. Remain in my love. Remain in position seeking God. And I have in my notes here, myth buster. Because, you know, Really, when I say that the Bible is full of stories of real people going through real things, it is. Yeah. And if you're having a Job moment, if you don't know the story of Job, you should read it and it'll give you a reality check. If you're having a Job moment and nothing is going well, then at the very, very foundation of everything, you declare God is a good God. Yeah. God yeah. is a good God. In the book of Habakkuk, is that how I say it? Okay, good. (laughs) I'm so nervous. Okay. God tells Habakkuk that his country will be destroyed. Yeah? Real heavy. So this is Habakkuk's response. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the storms, stores, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. Yeah. And you might not be talking about fig trees and cattle and sheep, yeah. but you are talking about cars that work and money in the bank and health that gets you through the next day. You are talking about relationships that need to be restored. And I want to know this morning, do you know your response before the circumstance happens? Do you know what your response will be? Do you know? Yet I will rejoice. I will rejoice. What is your resolution? Do you already know your response no matter what the circumstance? Let's resolve today together.
that no matter what we deal with, no matter what comes our way, we will position ourselves in the presence of the Almighty God and we will declare His goodness because no matter what the facts are, He is truth. And the truth is that He is good. Dealing with disappointment. We have to learn to deal. We have to. And the third question is, are you being obedient? So we have seen the servant travel through the excitement and the disappointment and he's at the master and um, he's given the guest response to the master. And the master says to him, go out and invite again. But not just anyone. Go out and seek the outcasts of society. The blind, the lame, back in those days, they were outside. And then he comes back, oh, but it, you know, I, I found them, I invited them, but your house isn't full. And the master sends him out again. And this time he has to search the highways and the lanes, he has to search throughout the countryside, and this time he has to compel them to come. Obedience is more than just doing something somewhere that one time that you finally feel like it. Obedience is more. Obedience is complying with an order, a request, submitting to God's authority. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. Jesus came up and said to them, All authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. That's a lot of doing words, right? You've got to go. Make, baptize, teach. That's a lot of doing. Being faithful in obedience is not just about doing something somewhere, sometime. It's about seeing it to fruition in the purest form it could be. Francis Schaeffer writes, Our calling is not just to be the faithful bride, but also the bride in love. A bride has not been faithful just because she has not slept with anyone else. Just because you are not looking outside your relationship with God or just because you're not doing anything, you know, too crazy and sinful or too taboo or whatever, doesn't mean you're being faithful to the call of God on your life. Obedience is more than just a one-time effort, half-hearted, maybe one day I'll get around to it. We actually need to go. We actually need to make disciples. We actually need to baptize people in the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We actually need to teach them about Jesus, the hope of the world. The servant had to seek out the guests three times. First, he was rejected. Second, he, was, he invited the outcasts, the uncomfortable. 
And third, he had to travel far and wide and compel them to come. It took effort. It took time. We need to be obedient servants, willing to do whatever it takes to to find his children and invite them to Jesus, the hope of the world. So are you excited? Are you dealing with disappointment? Yes. Woo! Are you, and are you being obedient? The role of the servant. And secondly, we see ourselves as the reliable guest. This morning, if you have accepted the invitation to the salvation banquet, I ask you, are you a reliable guest? It's time to join the party and it's time to stop letting the rubbish take you out. Jesus has made the way. He's invited you. He's made it possible. All you have to do is dine with the king. All you have to do is come. Spend time with him, pray, worship. And there are two things that turn so many of us into those first guests of the parables, the ones with the excuses. No, sorry, I can't spend time with you. No, sorry, I can't spend time with you. And then it becomes, no, I can't. Just stop asking. No? Two things. First one, overcome personal distraction. And second one, overcome corporate dysfunction. So we'll go through personal distraction first. Distraction is everywhere. It's actually been um, quite amazing because a lot of the people in my world are talking about cancelling Netflix, deleting apps or phones, putting phones on charge downstairs instead of next to the bed, all those little things because we're realising it's crazy how distracted we all are. So distracted all the time, something grabbing for our attention. I drive to the Sunshine Coast for work and they've started putting up um, big advertisement boards along the highway. So what was once beautiful natural scenery is now another, another avenue to be bombarded with information yeah. that you didn't ask for, but it comes. It's part of our world. And so it can be as simple as social media. It can be as complex as an attack on your health or your finances. But we only have to look at the story of Job in the Bible to realize that personal distraction is no reason to take us out. Distraction comes down to priorities. And if your priorities are in order with God at the top, then it's our job to ensure our lives reflect that. A little secret, your life reflects your priorities. So if you were to look at your life right now, it's reflecting what you value. If your distraction is taking you away from God, away from family, away from whatever your priorities are, then those distractions have bumped their way to the top of your priority list. Don't let personal distraction take you away from dining with the king. As at the Pharisee's house, Jesus told the guests to be humble. And he told the, house, the host to be selfless. And then he launches into the parable that is telling them that Jesus accepted the Pharisees' invitation, but the Pharisees' guests were so busy with their own selfish antics that they missed the moment to dine with the king. And instead, they fulfilled their own wants. And Jesus is saying to them through this parable, well, it sucks to be you because everyone's invited to my feast, yeah. 
and you don't want to miss out. I wonder how many times during our weeks, our everyday weeks, that we miss out on opportunities to dine with him, to spend time with him, to pray, to worship, to read our Bible, just because of personal distraction. Don't let personal distraction take you out. Don't miss Jesus because you are distracted by yourself. And secondly, overcome corporate dysfunction. So whether it's in church, work, families or friendship groups, when humans are in relationship with other humans, there seems to sometimes form dysfunction, right? Lots of dysfunction everywhere. But let's be clear. There is no place for dysfunction in the church family. There's no place. And I actually, I couldn't say it better myself. So I have, um, we're going to read Romans 14 together. Welcoming with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems like they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might be convinced that he can eat anything on the table while another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticising what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of of conscience. What's important in all this is that if you keep a holy day, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it for the glory of God and thank God for that prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again so that He could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticise a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself. As I live and breathe, God says to me, every knee will bow, every tongue will tell the honest truth. So tend to your knitting. You've got your hands full, just taking care of your own life. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about that you don't get in the way of someone else, making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced, Jesus convinced me that everything as it is in itself is holy. And we, of course, by the way, we treat it or talk about it can contaminate it. If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or donate, you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are people Christ 
died for? Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion for soul poisoning. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach. It's what God does with your life as He sets it right, puts it together and contemplates it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing God above and proving your worth to the people around you. And I'm nearly finished. So let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served. I said it before and I'll say it again. All, good is, all food is good, but it can turn bad if you use it badly and if you use it to trip others up and send them sprawling. When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be about yourself, but to share the life of Jesus. So be sensitive and courteous to others. Don't eat or say things that might interfere with the free exchange of love. Do we get it? Do we get it? Cuts through, right? Makes us realise that it's actually about Jesus. Get rid of dysfunction. Get over it. Deal with it. Move forward. Stop holding on to it. There is no place for dysfunction in the house of God. Whatever little tidbits you're fussing over, let go. Let go and read that again. It's really good. It's really good. Time to step into who we are in Christ, not who we are in flesh. So let's be obedient servants and let's be reliable guests. Spend time with Him, love Him, and actually go out into your world and declare that Jesus is the hope of the world. And of course, we always, always, always prioritise a moment for you to accept the invitation to the Salvation Banquet. And in our church family, we close our eyes in this moment, so we'll do that now. In respect of the importance of a relationship with Jesus, we respect this moment for the fundamental, pivotal nature that it is. And this parable that we talked about teaches us that no one may enter the kingdom of God without an invitation from God. An invitation by grace has been made through Jesus to every single one of you, every person in the whole world. The banquet is free. The invitation has been given by grace, but acceptance carries with it the responsibility to live a life with and for Jesus. So if you would like to accept Jesus' invitation, if you want to confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe that Jesus that God raised Jesus from the dead, then we would love to pray with you and I would love to pray with you. So if you can please just give me a nod or a wave if that's you this morning, if you want to dine with the King for eternity. Lord, we declare that you are God. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son and conquered death. Meet us as we seek you this, in this moment and help us throughout our weeks to be reliable guests at your banquet. We thank you that you already know our journey and we can't wait to walk with you. And all those 
who believe that Jesus is Lord said, Amen. Amen. You're going to get excited. Come on. Amen. Now, if you um, accepted the invitation or if you would love someone to pray with you or talk to you, please um, go up the back. You can see Chelsea and Dave standing at the yes desk. Go and say hello. They'd love to meet you or out in the info desk in the foyer. We'd, we'd really love to connect with you and do this journey together. So awesome church. Wow. Pass you. Wow. Thanks. Come on. How about we give Romy a hand?